It's good to be with you guys today. Is there some kind of football game going on today? I know. You're all wearing the wrong color, just to remind you. Um, anyway, <laughs> good morning. It's great to be with you guys today. Um, we are doing our uh, kind of a yearly sermon series that we do about this time every year. We are uh, rediscovering, as it were, our uh, identity in Christ. We've been looking at um, our, our Trinitarian, our triune identity, that we are uh, family, we are disciples, and we are missionaries. We do this every year uh, because uh, we, we, we want these three identities, which are based in who God is and what He's done for us, to really be the, the operating system that we boot our entire lives off of. Uh, so th- this is kind of foundational stuff for us. We, we want these three uh, aspects of who we are in Christ to literally saturate everything that we do. And that's uh, individually as well as a church. And so uh, we often ask the question when it comes to initiating new things, especially community groups, um, you know, we'll ask that question. How is this new endeavor going to be? Uh, going to, to fulfill our identity or help people experience or help people live out of and move out of their identity as family, their identity as disciples, and their identity as missionaries. Um, so I, it's been my prayer that God would give us new eyes to see this abundant life that, that he wants us to walk in. Um, I think that he's been doing that, uh, which has been good news for us. Um, but I, just to, to bring us back, all of this kind of comes out of Jesus' commission to his disciples in Matthew 28. So if you remember, it says um, Jesus, who's, who's now uh, died on the cross, buried for three days, rose again, tells his disciples, go and meet me uh, in Galilee, and, and there they find Jesus. And he says to them, uh, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so we, we've been talking about this idea of baptism, that the, the, to be a Christian, to live the Christian life, isn't just about kind of adopting intellectual beliefs that are divorced from real life. That what it means to be a, a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a believer, is to be immersed in a new identity according to who God is and what He's done. And, and, and this should be really good news to us. In fact, this should be the best news there is. Uh, because it, think about for a moment just the people that Jesus invites to this new reality. Um, it says two things about them. That, that when they went there, they worshipped Jesus, but many doubted Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, you know, Jesus has died and risen again. And now he's standing before you in all of his resurrection glory telling you what life is going to be about. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I'm sort of conflicted here. I sort of have a bunch of doubts. And Jesus doesn't separate us into two categories of worshipers and doubters and go, okay, I'm going to talk to the in-group over here. No, he, he gives this good news to everybody. And that should tell us that we don't need to live up to these things perfectly, that in fact God wants to meet us exactly where we are. He's not waiting for you to get over yourself in order to give you a new identity. Um, So so over the last two weeks we've been talking about this. Uh, Week number one we talked about our family identity, if you remember, that we're no longer um, slave to, to the the need to create an identity for ourselves, to answer the question, where do I belong? That that now is answered forever securely, that we are sons and daughters of God. We are secure in his family. We know exactly who we are. Uh, And then last week we talked about our disciple identity, that we're in a sense no longer uh, needing to live in isolation or purposelessness, and that God isn't waiting for us to, to know more about Him or to do more for Him, but He's actually inviting us to watch where He's at work in our lives, to, to wait on what He's saying, and then to walk with Him through everything. And this, 
this for us answers the question, what is my life for? Somebody put it great this week as I was, I was talking to him, and he said, this answers the question, what's the purpose of my life? The purpose of your life, according to Jesus, is to walk with him, to be one with him, to watch him invade your life as the kingdom breaks in in new ways, day after day after day. Being a Christian is not just a holding tank for heaven. Jesus said eternal life happens now. And what he means is you can know the Son. You can have the Son operating as a friend and as Lord in your life and to watch him do things you never thought were possible in your heart. And that's really good news. And again, you know, it's such good news. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but I've had a lot of conversations with people this week. I've probably gotten more feedback on this one sermon than maybe any in the last, I don't know, several years, where people have said to me, essentially, I never thought about walking with Jesus that way. I never thought that what you said was possible. I never saw it that way before. I, I'm seeing with new eyes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in new realities that I didn't know were possible. My imagination has been stirred up in a way that I didn't think was there before. Can I just say this? Like Next week we're doing our, our Thanksgiving service, and what we do there is we sing a whole lot of songs, and we share a whole lot of stories. And if God has stirred a new reality for you, if you've seen him working in ways that are new to you and different, I would just ask you, just share, be willing to share your story next week. Okay? Uh, come and talk to me if you, you know, it doesn't matter how, you know, you're like, oh, I don't know if it's like meets the, the, the bar, you know, it's got to be like a great story. No, it doesn't have to be a great story. Just Jesus has to be in the story. That's what makes it great. <laughs> so if he's in the story and you're seeing him do something in your heart, we would love to hear it. Um, so where do we go from here? Well, if our belonging is secure because we're God's family and if the purpose of my life is to walk with Jesus, then we have to ask the question, what's the point of all this? Like, where do these two things come together? What does it mean then to live from a new security and a new purpose kind of working hand in hand? And I think the answer to that question is our third identity, that we are missionaries. Um, the word missionary, if you're not familiar with it, that's a weird word for you. It comes from the Latin word missio. And that word missio in Latin means to be sent. It's to be a sent one. It's to, to be a, a, a herald, as it were. If you were, um, you know, if you had good news to share, if somebody said, hey, this thing has happened in your city or something, go share it with another city. You go and you would share the news of what's happened. You're, you're being sent with good news. This idea comes from uh, John 20. At least this is the place that we often look at when it comes to, to this idea of being a missionary. And Jesus is encountering his disciples for the very first time after he's risen from the dead. And, he's, and this is what happens. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples, I love this, were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Missio, I am now Missioing, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, to be baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit means, by nature, we are sent ones. Now, can I ask you just a question? When you think about this idea of being a missionary, maybe you've heard this term before, what, what are the, some of the things that come to mind for you? Foreign countries, yeah. Some, someone who goes somewhere else, usually on a plane, to, to a foreign land to do something there. We don't often think of 
this idea of being a sent one as being sent to the place that we already live. Oh, uh, okay. All right. So, so, so people from people from that foreign land essentially coming back to the place from which they were sent to right. <laughs> yeah, kind of showing their pictures and telling their stories. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So delivering. Yeah. So delivering good news to the people around you, whether those be your neighbors or friends or family. Yeah. Learning a foreign language. Interesting. Again, that idea of go somewhere else, some other place, some other time, some other, not here and now necessarily. Uh, so you don't have to raise your hands or respond to this, but when you think of this term missionary, do you, th- do you wake up in the morning and say to yourself, yeah, I, that's me. I feel like a missionary today. <laughs> I see one head going back and forth. Um, I think that's probably representative to us. Um, we don't think that we fit the bill. We don't think that this word applies to us. We, we think this is some other person at some other time with some other kind of training um, that's doing something else other than the kind of life that I'm living. And, and here's the thing. When most people when I talk to about this idea of being a missionary, um, much of the underlying emotion that's driving the fact that they don't think of themselves this way is the fact that if they did see themselves this way, the idea scares the living daylights out of them. I mean, if I, like, you're a missionary. You're going to be one to the rest of the day. You're going to be one tomorrow. In fact, you're, you're sent to your workplaces, to your schools, to your neighborhood, to your network of friends. You are a missionary. What's stirring? Oftentimes for us, that emotion that we feel, that kind of knee-jerk reaction to that kind of statement is fear. Which is interesting. It's very, it's, it's very interesting to me because we talk about this, the gospel, right? And coming to know Jesus. Talk about God adopting us, making his enemies his children. And then we talk about disciples, the fact that, that you get to walk through now all of life with your Savior leading you by the, the heart, not just by the hand. You get to watch for him and wait on him and walk with him in all of life. And, and we think about those two things and we're like, that sounds like a life of joy. And then we get to the missionary piece and we go from joy to fear. I want to submit to you that for the disciples, it was the exact opposite. How does the story begin? They're in a locked room full of fear. And then Jesus appears to them and then he fills them with the Holy Spirit and he sends them out and by the end of the story, they're full of joy. And so it... it, If we have now gone from joy to fear, we are doing the exact opposite of the disciples who moved from fear to joy when they thought of what it meant to be a sent one of Jesus. And so something's off, right? There is some kind of uh, misplaced understanding or belief system that is informing the way that we think about having a missionary identity. Because I'm convinced that most of us think that being a missionary is full of fear and burden. When in reality, to live this out is actually full of joy and awe. So that's my, that's my task this morning. I, not that I can do it, but I'm, this is what I've been praying this morning and this week, is that God would, in a sense, move you from fear to joy. So... This is the good news that we proclaim. Into our fear, 
that mission is not something that you do for God. It is something that we do with God. Mission is not something on our agenda. It is something that we awaken to discover that God is already doing and is now inviting us into. So this is our... This is the way I'm putting what it means to be a missionary this morning. That being a missionary is living awake to the opportunities God has prepared with the people that God has prepared. As the person, that's you, that God is preparing. That being a missionary is living awake to the opportunities that God has already prepared with the people that God has already prepared in that place, and that you get to do it as the person that God wants to prepare. You get to be exactly who you are. This should sound like familiar language, because we talked about this last week. In other words, Jesus has opportunities for you to watch for. He has people already in place who are waiting to meet him. And he is preparing you, not before you become a missionary, but as you walk with him on the mission. I mean, doesn't that sound like something we've already said? It, it, it sounds just like uh, the, the, what it means to be a disciple. And that's exactly right. Be, because you can't be a missionary without being a disciple. But here's the good news. If you're a disciple of Jesus who watches for and waits on and walks with Jesus through all of life, you won't be able to help but be a missionary too. Because the two come together. They're a package deal. So, this understanding of what it means to be a missionary, for me in particular, it calls out several fears that I want to name and address uh, this morning. Um, that, that when, when, oftentimes when we think of what it means to be a missionary, there, we often have a fear of failure, that we often have a fear of confrontation, and we often have a fear of inadequacy. A fear of failure, confrontation, and inadequacy. So let's address these. Uh, the first, the fear of failure. I, I kind of think of this as like the door-to-door evangelist. I don't know if you've ever... Um, had the opportunity to, to do this where you kind of um, maybe Bible tract in hand or ready to pray for people and you kind of walk from door to door to door. And there's nothing wrong with any of the images that I'm going to share with you, but, but the, the, the belief system that these often touch on is what I'm trying to get after. Now, what we think of when we think of someone who's kind of going door to door and ringing up doorbells and knocking on doors, which is often the, the idea that many people have of what it means to be a, a missionary, is, is in a sense to falsely think that I, I couldn't do that because um, if I were to do that, what it means to be a missionary is to be responsible then for people coming to know Jesus. That, that, that if I were to do that, then I'm somehow responsible for the, the fruit of what happens. And so, think of this. I mean, this is often what's said. I need to have the right words at the right time. I need to have the right technique. I need to be in the right frame of mind. I need to go to the right houses. You see the pressure that's mounting. And because we feel like the responsibility somehow lies on us, we'd rather not try at all than, than fail. And so, so we just go, I'm not going to play the game. In other words, I think we, we somehow think that we need to control the outcomes. We need to be the ones to see the fruit. And I just want to present to you the fact that Jesus himself didn't live that way. Do you know that? Jesus walked through life with the freedom to share good news, and he never ever actually bore on himself the responsibility of anyone responding positively to what he was saying and doing. He always gave people the right to disagree or to walk away from from the news that he was presenting and what he was doing. I mean, the classic example of this is in Luke 18, right? There's this guy who gets labeled a rich young ruler. 
I don't know if you remember his story, but he's sort of self-righteous, but he wants eternal life, and he's asking Jesus how he gets it, and he's bringing his credentials to the table. And, And Jesus looks at this guy and he goes, yeah, but there's one thing that you're missing out on. You know, the, you already think you have eternal life because your eternal life is in your wealth. You're looking for freedom by having financial independency. And, and it, so long as that is the God that you're serving, you're never going to know the good news that I want to bring into your life. So just go and sell all that stuff and give it away. And then, you, then come to me and you'll find real treasure. It's good news. I mean, it, it was the exact news that this guy needed to hear, and yet what does he do? He walks away sad. Now, what does Jesus do? Does he run after this guy and go, wait, hold on, like, I've got a better deal for you. <laughs> Don't go yet, you know? It gets better, or like maybe sell half of it. And then come and follow me. A third? A quarter. Like, he, he doesn't negotiate with him. He, he, com- he just lets him walk away. Now, why in the world would Jesus feel the freedom to let this guy walk away? I mean, just to be honest, like, this guy was an all-star pick. If you're going to have, like, your first-round draft pick for your team, this guy would be on it. He's got all the stats that you want for your team. And Jesus goes, no, that's all right. He can be on somebody else's team. Why does he feel the freedom to do that? I think the answer to that is is John 5. When when Jesus says in verse 19 and 20, which, by the way, Jesus is getting into some hot water for the things that he's saying and doing, and the religious leaders are getting really hot under the collar because they're like, he's doing things that nobody's ever done before, and he's breaking all our rules. And so they come and they go, why are you doing all this stuff? And this is what Jesus says to them. Truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Now get this, listen to this. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. He shows him all he does. Do you know, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who had... Colossians says that he is the one through whom all things were made, that nothing was made apart from Jesus' spoken word to create it into existence. This very one has now completely emptied himself of all divine power and he lives completely and solely by whatever God shows him to do. Jesus' answer is like, why does your life look so radical? And Jesus is like, all I do is what I hear God saying to me. He shows me what to do. I watch for him. I walk in his ways. I wait on what he says, and I just do it. Because I'm secure in his love. I mean, do you realize how radical that is? That Jesus would, would live that kind of um, emptied life? Like, why would he live that way? Why would he not use his divine power for his own advantage? According to Philippians 2. For us. It's for us. It's to show us that if he walked that way, then he will help us also to walk that way. See, we we said this last week, if it's true that God is present and at work, then being sent on mission means that our only responsibility, our only task is to discover where God is already at work and to meet him in those opportunities as the Father shows himself to us. That's it. Just like Jesus did. I discovered this quote this week. This is like in my top five, I think, all-time favorite quotes. I'm going to show you the quote because you'll never guess who it's from. But it says this, Stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Find out what God's doing. It's already blessed. Who said it? 
Which theologian? Bono. From the yeah, that Bono. From you too. He's now my favorite theologian. I love this guy. Stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Stop taking the responsibility on yourself to feel like you need to be the one to create those opportunities. Watch what he's doing and then follow him in it. It's already blessed. It's already anointed. It already has his favor. You can't be a missionary thinking you can do it and then God will follow you into it. He's already there. He's present and at work. We, we, last week we talked... We, we call these kairos moments, right? A kairos is a divine appointment. It's an opportune time. I heard it this week and I, I love this. It, God, isn't, God is not playing hide and seek with you. He wants to be known. He wants His people to join Him in what He's doing. That's what it means to be a missionary. And that's such good news because it means that the Spirit is the one who bears the fruit. In fact, our job is to be faithful to the point even to be willing to fail. Because there is no failure in the kingdom of God. There is no step of faith that you can take which will, which in the Father's eyes would be perceived as failure. There's no failure. There's only unfaithfulness. Um, I, I heard um, Brian Sanders, who leads kind of a community of missionaries, talking about this. And he says that, which really resonated with me, that they're, they're my generation and then my son's generation. And there are two generations and both have a game that kind of define that generation that, that uses blocks to do the game. So we'll put it up there. The one on the left is what? Tetris, the one on the right is Minecraft. Alright, how do these games work? They both use blocks, right? But in Tetris, you play the game until you get crushed. Right? There's no winning Tetris. There's only getting slightly better than the guy with the Game Boy next to you. That's it. Um, it now... My son, he, he doesn't know what Tetris is, but, but he plays Minecraft. And now, how does Minecraft work? Also with blocks, but how does it work? You build something from the, from the ground up. And in fact, in Minecraft, the sky's the limit. There's, the blocks aren't falling from the sky to crush you. You, you enter a world and you get to manipulate the blocks that are there and create and express your imagination in new forms and ways. It's a beautiful game. And, and it, it spurs kids to, to think creatively and openly about their environment and, and just and to know that they, they, can, they can create something and, and do something new, something that nobody's ever thought of before. Caleb loves to bring these things to me and go, look what I made, you know? See, and there's a major difference between these two games. In Tetris, you can't win. In Minecraft, you can't lose. The only way to lose in Minecraft is to not play. And the only way to lose at being a missionary is to not play. Because the only way to lose at this game of following Jesus into the world is just to be unfaithful. It's just to close down. It's just to close off. There is no such thing as failure. Now, that's the fear of failure. Now, there's a fear also of confrontation. A lot of us, when we have this idea of missionary or evangelist uh, in our mind, we don't, you know, it's ironic because the word evangel, evangelist, means bringer of good news. But the person that we often have in our mind when it comes to someone who's an evangelist is someone standing on a soapbox saying, God's judging you and you're about to go to hell if you don't believe something. And people go, what? Huh, huh, wait a second, That's, that doesn't seem like good news. That, that seems like bad news. And, and I, we, we have this idea 
falsely, I think, that to be a missionary is to engage in something that we don't want to do. And I think this, is, this fear is rooted in the wrong idea of mission as primarily being about scare tactics, sales pitches, and debates. That this is what it means to be a missionary. You've got you to scare people into believing something. You've you got to sell it. And you've got to be able to debate everyone down their, their beliefs so that, you can, so that they'll see that your belief system is superior to theirs. And this is, the, this is the approach that I was trained in when I became a believer. I, mean, I remember going around on campus with a track in my hand and going up to, to strangers, sitting down with them, and, um, and, and asking them a series of questions. But the questions weren't, in a sense, caring about who they were as a person. They were just trying to get them into a gotcha moment. I was playing spiritual gotcha. And I, so the, the last question on my kind of list of surveys was always the same question, which was, what would you do if you died tonight? Where would you go, heaven or hell? What do you think? And, and it was always to press people, to kind of scare people into a moment of like, well, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. So, well, yeah, I mean, if Jesus is the way to get to the place that I want to go to and not the place that I don't want to go to, then yeah, I... I I remember having this conversation one time with a student, and he goes, well, I'm not going to die. I said, well, how do you know? He goes, well, I'm not. I'm going to go back to my dorm. I'm going to sleep for 12 hours. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to class. I'm going to hand in my homework assignment. I'm like, yeah, I know, but what, like, what if that doesn't happen? He goes, I, but it won't. And even if it did, I don't believe in hell. <laughs> my, my only tactic at that point as a 21-year-old was to go, well, then you're wrong. Because <laughs> I had no other approach. Like, the scare tactic didn't work. I, I'm, I'm now like, oh, shoot, what if I walk away and I haven't, you know, given the sales pitch? And I, my only approach was to escalate the debate. And he ended up, like, really distrusting me and really resenting me. I remember I would, I would uh, pass this guy, like, you know, on, on the campus. And if he saw me coming and there was like another way to go, he would like divert his route to get away from me. And I was like, and I, I think back on that. And I'm like, did, did people divert their route to get away from Jesus? Or did they do everything possible to take the high and the low road to be closer to him? I think you know the answer. Jesus had an amazing way. In fact, he, he, he never used scare tactics. He, he never felt the pressure to try to sell people into the kingdom of God or to debate them in. In fact, um, debates often found their way to Jesus. You know, 183 times Jesus was asked a question. Most of those were by religious authorities that were trying to get him into a gotcha moment. Do you know how many times Jesus answered those 183 questions? Three times. <laughs> Three times. In fact, most of the time, Jesus was the one asking the questions. He asked 307 questions throughout the Gospels. Only his questions weren't to try to create gotcha moments or manipulate people into believing. There were questions that were trying to lovingly open people to the fact, to the reality, that God was in their midst. Do you know the question that Jesus loved to ask more than any other question? He loved to ask the question, what do you want? What do you desire? What do you want out of life? What are you after? What's your aim? What's your goal? What do you think you need? And the reason I think that Jesus asked this question again and again and again is because his main strategy for evangelism was to, to demonstrate care for people by asking the kinds of questions that helped people get a grip on what they desired. It was to bring their desires to the surface. And the whole reason Jesus did this was to show that their desire, in fact, cannot be met with their current 
methods of trying to get after it. In fact, it can only be met in the kingdom of God. You want an example? Famous one, John 4. Jesus encounters a woman at a well. She's there because during the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, to get water. Nobody did that. And we find out that the reason that she's done that is because she is the town... Um, how do I put this? <laughs> Le- yeah, she's, uh, she's not well-respected. She doesn't have a good uh, reputation. And so she has to go when nobody else is going. And so, so she goes to find this water, and Jesus um, shares good news and says, um, this is what he says in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that, I may, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You know what she's saying? Provide me water in such a way that can, that can cover my shame so that I don't have to be the one to come out in the middle of the day to get it. So that I can, I, in a sense, what she wants is because she, she, she longs for satisfaction, she longs for um, the security in another, and she knows that she's gone to all the wrong places to get it. She now thinks that she is so full of shame that the best way to solve her problem is just to stay home to get the water. It's like, if you could install a pump in my house so that I don't have to come out here at all, that would be fantastic, Jesus. And Jesus, knowing her heart, he he says to her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right to say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now know, the one that you're living with, is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Uh, See, Jesus isn't trying to create a gotcha moment. Um, in fact, there are several times when the woman wants to create sort of a confrontational uh, conversation, and Jesus is having none of it. He keeps going after her heart, going after her heart, going after her heart. And he's not, he, he's not trying to be the one to stand in condemnation, but what he's telling her is essentially, you've gone through now five guys, you're on your sixth, and You want eternal life? You you want satisfaction? You want water that doesn't dry up? If your desire is to find satisfaction and security, guess what? I'm the seventh man. If you know anything about Hebrew culture and history, the number seven is the perfect number. It is the number of completion. And Jesus is saying, I am the final man that you need. See, it doesn't doesn't matter if it's a woman in a well that's full of shame. It doesn't matter if it's an atheist in the cubicle next to you. Every single person is made in the image of God. Therefore, every single person deeply desires to hear good news. They have longings in their heart that are not being fulfilled by the world because the world cannot fill them. And they want to know that real belonging exists. They want to know that their life can have purpose and meaning. They want to know that there is hope for the future. And they may, yes, they may have convinced themselves that those things don't exist, but they still want them. And so Jesus is always trying to surface those things and then, and then respond to them by sharing good news. And they can turn away from that good news if they want to, but that good news is out there just the same. See, Jesus is always operating in this reality that God cares more about the people that are in his life than anybody else does. And that's one of the realities that we talked about last week. And the truth is, God cares more about the people that he's put into your life than you do. He cares more about your neighbors than you do. He cares more about your coworkers. He cares more about your kids and your family members and your classmates. He cares about them. He loves them. 
And, and what that means is you, you don't have to move into those relationships and conversations looking for a confrontation. You don't have to respond when people start confronting you. You are free, completely free, because God loves them, to be people who love people as God brings them into your life without the pressure to convince them of their sin and wrong beliefs, without the pressure to seal the deal or close the sale. You're free to walk with them through life and to simply share good news that in fact their deepest desires can be met by Jesus the King. Jesus is present and active in every relationship, and he cares about the people that you interact with. So what if you simply ask the question of them or of God as you're interacting with them, what do you want out of life? And don't you know that you can have it in him? Now here's the third, that we sometimes have... um, a fear of failure, we can have a fear of confrontation. And I think the last one, this is the one that gets me oftentimes, is a fear of inadequacy. Um, I love Billy Graham. He was a great evangelist. Spoke to thousands of people. But oftentimes when we think of what this means to kind of share good news with people, that's the guy that we have in mind. And that immediately goes, oh, I can't. I, how would I, uh, you know? I'm not that bold, I'm not that eloquent, I'm not that extroverted, I'm not that whatever. I'm not that guy or that girl. Um, Do you know in the Gospels, the people that are the most effective, the people that, that have the most impact, not that it's about impact, but just saying, the, the people that seem to be the most fruitful when they share the gospel are not the people that look like this guy. Um, they're the people that you would never expect. In fact, the, the woman is the first one. Um, the woman that's having this conversation with Jesus, after they have it, it says, Le- then leaving her jar, she, so she runs away from the whole reason why she came there in the first place, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who's told me everything I ever did. And they came out of the town and made their way to him. You see what happened to her? She went from shame to joy. And because Jesus accepted her for who she was, even though she went to the wrong things, that now completely changed her idea of who she was. She, she marches back into town. I mean, she slinked out of town and she marches back in. And she goes, come, come out of your houses, come with me. you got to meet this guy. He's told me everything I ever did. And they're like, everything? And she's like, everything. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <clears throat> and the point, the, the point is not that Jesus is some kind of soothsayer that somehow is a crystal ball into her life. The point is that Jesus knows everything about her and accepts her just the same. And they're going, show me the guy who accepts you because maybe he'll accept me. I mean, another example is the, um, the guy who's filled with the legion of demons in Mark 5. I mean, this is a guy that everybody in town was scared of. I mean, if you saw this guy running, you wouldn't just take a different path. You would run the other way. I mean, you, you wouldn't want to be near this guy. It says, the man who had been, been demon-possessed begged Jesus to go with him. Like, get, get me out of this town. I don't have a good rep here. Please, can I just follow you? I, I'm a, there's no reason for me to go back. And Jesus, did, he doesn't let him go with him. But he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell the people in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. See, in in both of these stories and in so many others, the people who were receptive to Jesus... 
the people that, that he worked in their lives, were, they weren't the people at the top. They weren't the people at the center. They weren't the people that everyone wanted to be like. They were the people that had the greatest needs. And the people whose needs were met in Christ. Because And, and so other people were saying, if he can meet their needs, if, he, if he's meeting them in the reality of their lives, in the reality of their sin, maybe he can meet me in the reality of mine. See, what this should tell you is that your, your most powerful tool when it comes to being a missionary is your story. It's your story. It's, it's knowing, it's capturing what has God done for you in Jesus? How has he moved in your heart? What has he said to you? What has he done for you? How has he saved you? How are you finding your deepest desires met in him? They are being met in him, even if you don't see it. And, and so as you discover those things, can, can you then share what God has done for you in such a way that it starts to invite other people to explore the kingdom of God? Because the truth is, if you can't see how the gospel is good news to you, if you can't see that God is present and active in the midst of your life, if you can't see that he meets you where you are, that he loves you more than you even love yourself, then you won't have good news to share. But... If the gospel is really good news to you today, if it's really good news that that Jesus has saved you and is saving you and will save you, then that news is going to leak out all over the place because you just won't be able to hold it in. See, and this reminds us of the reality that, that God meets us where we are. That God fills and uses the person you are. He's not filling the person that you think you should be. I mean, we have this picture in our mind that like, oh, I'm an introvert, but I need to be an extrovert to do this. No. Be an introvert that's filled with the Spirit. I'm too old for this, or I'm too young for this. No. No. Be the person that, that, that you are right now. That's the person that God wants to fill and use. In fact, I, I have this theory that I would love for you to test out. That there is, in fact, communities of people. There are individuals and maybe even networks or neighborhoods of people that you and only you can reach. And that God is preparing you to to be a witness to his good news in that environment. God doesn't expect you to be prepared. He is preparing you. The thing that he wants to send you to, to, to be and to do, the place where he wants to meet you in the world is the is the environment that he's going to use to transform you. I remember it was one time uh, um, playing soccer in high school. I'm a left-footed player. I play left wing. I cross the ball with my left foot. I do just about everything with my left foot, and I do it really well, or at least I did. Um, and I, I, I went into this one game, and it wasn't like... A, a trivial game. It meant something. And it was towards the end of the year, and my coach, he comes to me, and he, he right before the game, he goes, hey, I'm going to give you a challenge. I want you to only shoot with your right foot today. I was like, do you want us to lose? Like, what, what is going on? Like, why would you give me this instruction? Like, you're taking away my, my, my greatest strength and saying, okay, go out there and do what comes unnaturally. And it was hard. <laughs> and it was unnatural. And I, I, I don't remember how the game went. I just remember like the whole game going, man, I wish I could go back to what I'm strong at. And I, I think this whole idea of meeting Jesus in the midst of the world, going, following him into relationships will feel very much the same way. It'll feel like you're trying to kick the ball with your wrong foot.
And that's the point. That's the point. Because if it came naturally to you, then you would do what comes naturally. You would rest in your ability rather than in the Spirit Jesus sent to empower you to do that work. And so Jesus' mission is only possible when we do what comes supernaturally. But you won't do what comes supernaturally if you continue to live in what only comes natural. We are God's handiwork, Ephesians 2.10 says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has prepared opportunities for you to walk in and to meet him in with people that are already prepared to receive you. And he's going to prepare you as he does that work. He's present and at work, so you don't need to fear confrontation. He cares more about those people than you do, so there's no such thing as failure, and he meets you where you really are, so you need not fear your own inadequacy. Is this good news yet? Do you sense you're moving from fear to joy? Because you should be. The real question is, will we join him in this great adventure? Will we play the game? Now, you might be wondering, how do you play along? Like, what does it look like to play along with this game? How, how, how can we kind of walk as, as people that are awake to these opportunities and respond to them? Um, fortunately, we have a great story that tells us exactly how to do that. It comes from Luke 10 and other places, but this is the the part of the story where Jesus is now sending out 72 people um, to to be his witnesses, to be his sent ones. And just pay attention to what he says here. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. See, I think we often get those things reversed. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town, you are welcomed. Eat whatever is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Okay, here's what it looks like. See if this sounds familiar. Go into the world and watch for the opportunities. Watch for the ways that I'm already at work. Wait on me and then walk with me. You're like, wait a second. Hold up. That's what it meant to be a disciple. Yes. You see, being a disciple and a missionary, they're two sides of the same coin. It's the, it's the same process. So, so just quickly then, what are the opportunities that Jesus uh, wants to meet you in? Let's, let's talk about the, these people. Jesus sends out the 72. What does he say that they are to look for? He says, you're going to go look for something. What, what are they to watch for? Okay, a person of peace. What is that? <laughs> sure. So they tend to be a, someone who opens a door for you. But they're... they're they receive you as a person of good news. So, you know, 
think of the, the door-to-door evangelist. You know, you kind of go to a door and they're like, yeah, no, and then they close the door in your face. But they're, they're, and, and oftentimes we think that what it really means to be a missionary is to like hunt down like the hardest cases, like the people that are like the most um, unresponsive, that hate God and all this. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, go into your lives and look for the people that respond most readily to you. Look for the ones who, who when you come into their life, they're like, yeah, I want to spend time with you. So as you lean into them, they lean back into you. When you say, hey, we should do something together, they're like, yeah, we should. You know? If you say, we should do something together, and they're like, yeah, you know, I'll get to it. Now, what, what, what are you supposed to do with the people who don't lean into you? Don't lean into them anymore. God cares for them, and he will work it out. But they're not your responsibility. You are to be faithful with the people that he is drawing to you. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't continue to share good news with them. There are lots of people who are no longer leaning into relationship with me, and I'll shoot them a text message and say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you doing? And they'll say, great. And I'll say, hey, I'm, I was thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Hey, would you, love to get to, would you like to get together? So I, I hold open the door, but if they don't lean back into me, then I'm not going to keep pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. I'm going to use my time with the people that God is drawing to me. I want to be faithful to his promptings. Okay, now what are they to wait on? So they're to watch for people of peace, people that respond to the relationship. What are they to wait on? What is it that these people provide for the missionaries? What are they looking for? How do they know someone's a person of peace? They feed them. Isn't that interesting? You know a person of peace because they provide for your needs. Doesn't that screw with your whole idea of what it means to be a missionary? Here's my idea of what it means to be a missionary. I go into someone else's life and I bring everything that they need. Because I want to be good news to them. And so I think I'm the one with all the good news. They're the ones with the need. So I'm just going to bring everything that I've got, you know. Here's, here's my stuff. Here's my house. Here's my time. Here's the good news. I'm, I'm the one who brings it. Jesus doesn't do that. And he doesn't instruct his disciples to do that. He says, go into other people's lives and, you'll, and here's what I want you to do. Don't bring your, your resources with you. Because I will provide you what you need through the people I send you to. Isn't that upside down? So, so go into their lives, not in a posture of you kind of bringing everything and, oh, you know, aren't you so lucky that I came walking into your life? No, go into their life with your needs, in a posture of needs, so that they know that you're not a threat to them. In fact, empty yourself of all your self-sufficiency. Be like a lamb among wolves. Lambs can't even shear themselves. You realize this? I mean, talk about needs. A lamb's like going up to the wolves going, hey, you got any clippers? But that's what, that's what Jesus wants. He, he doesn't want us self-sufficient. You know one of the best ways I've found to do this? Ask for help. You know one of the best ways to identify people of peace in your life? See who's willing to meet your needs. Ask people. Uh, I do this all the time. Hey, do you have this tool? Because I don't have it. I don't want to spend the money for it. You might have it. Yeah, I've got it. Hey, could you help me with it at the same time? Sure, I'd love to help you with it. Ask people for things. Tools. Help with projects. Babysitting. Food. I was walking around my neighborhood yesterday, and one of my neighbors was walking into another neighbor's house with a tray of something. I was like, what are you, Sven, what are you doing? He's like, oh, my oven broke, and so I'm, I'm cooking something at Sandy's house. Like, I love that. <laughs> That's such a great picture of what we should... 
so often, like when our oven breaks, we think, I need to get a new oven right then and there. No, maybe you want to bake cookies and God is sending you to your neighbor who has a perfectly fine oven. Did you ever think of that? Be people of need. And, and don't just fill those needs with your own resources, your own debt. Ask, how does God want to meet my needs through the people that he is sending me? It's a crazy picture, isn't it? And then how are we to respond when these people are meeting our needs? We then, at that point, respond. We reciprocate to them. We ask them questions like, what is it that you want? And we share our story. We take risks. Now, how that risk might come in the form of offering something like a gift or a, a reciprocating deed or a word of good news or telling your story. It, it might mean that you pray for them because they share a need with you. Now, how do you know which one? How do you know how to respond? How do you know when to give the gift or when to say the word? I'm really asking that question. You do exactly what the Spirit tells you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. You see how fun this is? (laughs) Are we moving from fear to joy? Yes? I, I think this is... This sounds this does this should not sound like something that is full of fear and burden. This should be something that is full of joy and wonder. To get to follow Jesus into other people's lives, to watch him meet our needs as we share good news with them, and to have the confidence that God's going to be the one to order our steps and make us that good news is tremendously incredible to me. Quick story, and then we're done. I, um, I went around our neighborhood yesterday. I've been wanting to do a prayer walk for a while, which just means essentially to walk around my neighborhood and just ask the question like, God, where are you at work? How do you want me to respond to it? Open my eyes, bring people my way. And just for busyness reasons, I haven't been able to do that. Well, yesterday, um, we, we had to walk around our neighborhood because Caleb was doing a food drive for the Cub Scouts. And so we were walking around with these bags, and um, and I so we just go out the door, and I'm Mandy was at something else, so I've got the three kids, and and talk about non-ideal environment. Like I'm I'm shoehorning these three kids out the door. They're like running into the streets and crazy. And in the midst of this, I'm like, I don't know how you're going to show me stuff, God. <laughs> but, but but if you want me to see anything, just present it. You know, br- bring it my way and help me to be responsive to it. So we go out and we're doing this and, and we, we kind of turn the corner down an area that we don't normally go. And, and um, I know, you know everybody on our street, but we turn the corner, we go down, and I, I met this guy who's outside working on his car. And it turns out that he, he and his wife are people that walk through our neighborhood a lot. And we've had, we've had a number of conversations with them. And I didn't recognize him, and so I introduced myself as though I was meeting him for the first time. Did you ever do that? And he's like, I know who you are. We walk through your street. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> so, so we get talking. I'm just asking him about his life and his questions. It, and, and it turns out that um, he, he said he's having a baby for the first time. He and his wife are expecting in April, two days away from my birthday, which I was like, awesome. Maybe you'll come two days early, or she, I don't know. Um, and it turns out that, that he's an architect, and that he, he, he's gotten into business for himself for like the last three years. And so I'm like, this is strange. Okay, so he's having a baby um, near my birthday. He works in architecture, which I have experience in, and, and he's... He was sharing the stress of owning his own business. And I was like, yeah, I, I know something about that. Um, 
And so he, he's sharing all these things with me. And I, the whole time I'm like, holy cow, like I'm, I'm just praying, God, what do you want me to see? How do you want me to respond to this? And, um, and so he, he shares this piece about like just being under a lot of weight of stress and adding a baby on top of that. And I'm like, you're right. I mean, that, that would stress me out. And he's struggling with finding the balance in his work and home life and working too late and all these different things. And I'm like, I said, can I just share something with you that's, that's been good news for me? I, I said, I, I, I've, for a long time, I have subscribed to the lie that somehow I'm responsible to find this perfect balance between work and home life. And I, here's what I've discovered. I... I can't do that. I'll never be able to do that perfectly, so I don't need to. In fact, here's, this is what I'm discovering, that I only need to respond faithfully to the opportunities that I'm given when I'm given them. And I didn't bring up God. I didn't make it a spiritual conversation. I just said, this is the good news that I'm believing. And he just went, huh. So, so we were talking about this architecture thing, and it, we we have this project that we've kind of had on the back burner for a long time. And I was like, hey, do you do this? And he's like, yeah, I do it all the time. I would love to help you guys. And I'm like, that's awesome. I will talk to you about that. And so I walked away from that conversation now just going, okay, what's next with my new neighbor? And I, here's the great news. I don't need to know. All I need to do is be faithful. Thank God for the opportunity he gave me rest in what he did in that interaction, and then just ask him to do it again. I didn't create that appointment, and I won't have to create the next one either. This is really good news. I, I, I hope, I hope that you want nothing more than to walk out of this room going, God, I want to discover you everywhere I go, because you're out there. So how will you respond? How will you respond today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are present and at work in this world, that you are already working in the people that you want to send us to and that you aren't waiting for us to be some kind of particular person, but you want to send the person that we are filled with the Holy Spirit to be what that person may need to hear or see today or tomorrow. Help us to respond to this good news and to walk in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.